The pandemic cast a broad light on a number of important things in our lives, and one of them was the nation's supply chain. For months, as the pandemic kept most of America in their homes, workers across the U.S. supply chain continued to deliver goods to stores to make sure we all had what we needed. But what lessons did we learn during the pandemic as it pertains to the supply chain? What improvements have we made and what improvements are needed? I'm Greg Sleeter, Executive Editor of Storebrands, and I welcome to the Storebrand Spotlight podcast, Kevin Williamson, Chief Executive Officer at RJW Logistics Group. Kevin will offer his expert insight on a range of topics related to supply chain. Kevin, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, appreciate you having me, Greg. It's our pleasure, and thanks for some time. Um, sort of, this is a, you know, as we are, we're sort of post-pandemic now, and it's a question that typically I start with folks when we talk about things related to um, the pandemic. Um, as you know, it's it was a challenging couple of years across the board in a lot of areas, and supply chain was amongst among those. Um, if you could, uh, you know, kind of briefly, could you give us sort of um, a state of the union, as it were, um, uh, you know, in terms of where the nation's supply chain sits today? Sure. Yeah. Um, if you take a step back and you look at, you know, the entirety of the pandemic and then emerging from the pandemic, uh, some of the things that we've seen as we entered into the pandemic, obviously demand for goods went through the roof as restaurants closed down and people's lives were changed and they lived indoors and you know, they had a need and demand for consumer products. And uh, that resulted in, um, you know, kind of labor crunch, demand spiked, manufacturing slowed, raw materials were difficult to get into the U.S. as we saw. And while demand was there, not everybody capitalized on the opportunity during the pandemic to because of the supply chain issue to bring the raw materials to get the product to the consumer. So, you know, if you had a stockpile during that time of toilet paper, you know, you could be a billionaire today. But, um, you know, as we eased out of it, you know, retailers were looking to shrink the amount of SKUs that they offered in order to just get things on the shelves to have goods to sell because throughput is everything. You know, having on-shelf availability and and you had the demand, but uh, getting on shelf up at a high level was difficult during those periods. And people started to evaluate their supply chain while, you know, some people were manufacturing in Asia or Europe. Everybody saw the, the, the factors that caused the increase in inflation and cost to bring those goods into the U.S., you know, upwards of $20,000 on containers that were coming from Asia. Um, we saw an emergent in, internally uh, near the tail end of the pandemic to nearshoring. So whether it's bringing it onshore to the U.S. and out of uh, overseas or down into Mexico uh, to bring that manufacturing closing to control some of those costs throughout the supply chain. As we broke out um, and inflation hit everybody and increases started happening at the shelf level, where you know retailers couldn't absorb those extra costs of inflation that suppliers were passing along, um, we saw people starting to catch up with their inventory, and instead of holding that just-in-case inventory, uh, people were stockpiling and saying, "Okay, this is going to continue forever." It didn't. 
What that did, obviously, we saw it in the news all over the place, uh, warehouse space getting crunched, inventory levels going up, uh, recession kind of hitting in and demand um, falling, and people were stuck with too much inventory, and we started seeing sales to make room for the goods that were actually moving. Um, since then, you know, the second half, and we monitor here with all of the suppliers that we represent. We represent about over 650 different suppliers, but we monitor um, cuts to POs due to lack of inventory. During the pandemic, you know, in, in full rates, we're really hovering in that 89 to 91 percentile where we are cutting anywhere from 11 to 9 percent. That has since recovered. Uh, where we're in the you know low single digits on cancellations due to lack of inventory, and retailers we have seen have pivoted uh, to try to control their inventory hold uh, lower into a just in case inventory and increase the frequency of orders uh, to shorter review schedules, sh- smaller MOQs to be able to reduce their cost on inventory holds. All, all of this, you know, and the transition of this really changed supply chain from a perspective of servicing retailers, from retailers um, looking at supply chain as how do we utilize it to, you know, reduce our inventory holds, improve our supply chain, and most importantly, um, address on-shelf availability. Because the name of the game when you're in retailer is having in stocks at a high level, replenishment that is dialed in to be able to replenish off of sales and then use some of the AI that we're seeing developed on customer um, forecasting. And that kind of bleeds into the replenishment systems and how complex they can be. And, you know, understanding, you know, how supply chain can be a benefit not only to suppliers but to retailers and the conduit in between to get that replenishment to shelf, I think really uh, was enhanced through the pandemic and post-pandemic today. The the just-in-case, I guess, model that you're you're mentioning, does that put more pressure on supply chain or is, or is this just part of an evolution we're seeing? Well, I mean, just-in-time just in is different for you know, for different people, for different retailers. You know, if if retailers were used to ordering a four-month supply, you know, they may cut it down to a week-and-a-half supply. So, you know, they, they have that just-in-case methodology. And if, if you know, during the pandemic um, it was three weeks of just-in-case, you know, they might have ballooned up to six weeks of just-in-case. And now... They're saying, let's get a handle on our, our inventory levels, free up capital uh, so that we can invest back into the business, into new stores, into investments within our DCs and our infrastructure and the flow of that. So it does make it more difficult on, on vendors or suppliers to um, lower, their, lower their MOQs from a full pallet into layers or you know, sh- smaller, more frequent orders and having a supply chain that that can budget those numbers to be able to fulfill those things um, is rare find. But those suppliers or vendors that figure that out to maintain 
a smaller MLQ and maintain that freight factors are going to be the victors, we think, in the categories that they represent. Is and You touched on technology as well, um, and obviously technology has been a part of supply chain for a long time. But in terms of new tech or as AI, as you mentioned, is that ramping up now? Is that part of it or is there a still a lot, of, a lot more growth needed in AI to help meet some of that retail need? Personally, um, we haven't even touched the surface of these things. I mean, when you're talking about AI used for dynamic slotting and reslotting warehouses to reduce pick fronts, uh, when you're talking about consumer you know, it, it all depends on what you look at it and how you look at it for supply chain. For instance, we think um, there's some to figure out, but we think that the bigger, you know, the bigger opportunities of utilization of technology in AI isn't the chat GPT, um, but it, it's more so on looking at the processes that you have currently or the logic that you're using for industrial engineers or you're using for logic on how you're going to route or re-optimize or even forecast to consumer behavior is the bigger wins. Ordering what you need, when you need it, um, reducing the MOQs to be, you know, to that perfection because there's so much... There's so much um, data that, that's available, and we've been collecting data for years. Um, utilizing that data and, and quantifying it on how it can be used uh, based on uh, demand for consumers, I think, is, is a huge win within the retail world. Um, and I, you know, I can't speak of what retailers are doing what with AI, uh, but those are some of the things that I think a potential buyer or purchaser uh, may have a lot of analysis to do to figure out what they need when they need it, rather than you know walking a trade show, show floor to find out what's what. You know, there's so much consumer data within Instagram and TikTok and everything else on what's trending when and why. It's kind of like IRI data. IRI data is historic. Um, that's great, but what about the future? You know, not based on the past. How are you predicting the future based on the past? You've got to look at the past and learn from it to move forward. But I think that there, there's, there's faster processing of that data that will give you insights much faster. I think Dr. Oz did it the best where he, he, he saw things as they were happening, announced those, and then six months later you saw it to fruition. So understanding trends and uh, you know what what's hot, what's not, but not sure. right. The, the the predicting nature of the business that's always been there has never been an exact science, but I think for a while there was a a continuity and a consistency to it that I feel like the pandemic sort of blew up a little bit. Um, yeah. Has there has there been a need either in your business or when you work with suppliers and retailers to to really think differently now um, based on the pandemic and based on that? I feel like. When we write about consumer trends, they're 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 changing faster than maybe they ever have. Yeah, I mean, pandemic changed everything. It really did. Um, you know, I, I think that there's a false narrative too on consumer habits and everything else. It's kind of ramped up as you look at Gen Z and and what they look at in the world through their lens. If you look 
as they grew up and they graduated high school virtually. And, well, they want things now. They've seen a humming economy. They've, they've never really seen a recession. Um, they've lived in prosperity forever. Um, and, you know, I, I think a lot has changed from a 3PL world, from a retailer world. And obviously we've seen e-com just explode, but it's leveled off, right? People want to engage. You know, not everybody wants to go in store, but those that don't would prefer to do store pickup rather than delivery. They don't want strangers coming to their house to drop it off necessarily all the time. They want a combination of both, which, you know, bodes well for retailers that have the brick and mortar to have um, many different options. And I think that consumers want options now. But not an expert within retailer by any means, just observations that I've seen working with so many different suppliers um, that I've that I've kind of learned. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the role of 3PLs, um, and they've obviously always had a role in, in getting product from supplier to retailer. Um, but as we see, as we see tighter windows, you know, less inventory being sent to a retailer at a given moment, do the 3PLs play a greater role right now um, within the supply chain model? If you have a bad 3PL that's not hitting the matrix for the compliance that retailers need, need and want, uh, then you're in trouble. So yes, you, you definitely need uh, you know a 3PL that understands retail, a 3PL that understands compliance. Um, and I, I, you know, a lot of people, a lot of suppliers come to me and say, well, it's a revenue stream. It's a revenue stream. It's not a revenue stream. I think it's, it's, it's consumer um, satisfaction when it comes down to it, right? If, if you're going to sell goods to a big box retailer and they can't flow those merchandise through their DC to the store, then that's going to disrupt the supply chain within their network, isn't going to flow to the shelf. And it's not only going to hurt the supplier, but it's going to hurt the retailer because that shelf space is empty. So having, you know, barcode compliance, having case compliance, un understanding that all of this data is imperative, both in their system and the retailer system, so that that product can flow from the PO from when it launches to the time it gets there. You know, that's why there, there's a, you know, there's a focus on in full. You know, are you sending the right product at the right time to the right place? And is it arriving there in time? Like, they're your customer, and that, that should be given. But because it was ignored for so long, I think retailers are putting an emphasis on it, saying that you know, the, the inability to get us the right product on what we're ordering to us can't be acceptable because it's costing us money. Um, and you know, retail is uh, fractions of pennies, so you've got to make sure that every I is dotted, T is crossed. But to answer your question, yeah, you have to have the right 3PL um, that are experts within whatever segment of business you're selling into. As we move forward, um, are there a couple of, I guess, bullet points or a couple of um, areas um, where supply chain, and again, just in general, as you look across the country, where there needs to be improvement or more investment made to make sure things continue to move smoothly and maybe even move a little smoother? 
Yeah, I, I really haven't given too much thought on that, but I mean, I, I think um, understanding the partners that you're working with and having the transparency is something that the pandemic brought out on consumers to demand, not consumers, but suppliers to demand from their 3PL is visibility, transparency to not only supply chain of where that box is and where it's going, but also cost analysis to make sure that you're staying within budget and uh, not not taking lumps. So, you know, at the beginning of your review set, you're giving freight factors out that you've got to maintain any change within those those costing um, are going to hurt your margins. Um, so, you know, having that transparency and um, not only sharing information with your on time and, and your quality with your 3PL, but working with them to make sure that they've got solutions that are proven uh, to flow those goods. Otherwise, non-compliance and being late is going to cut into your margins um, if you're not careful and picking the right 3PL.